Constructed Criticism is brought to you by our three amazing sponsors. Grey Viking Games, Oasis Games, and PureMDGO.com. You can find them directly in the links in the show notes and use the codes associated with each sponsor. We appreciate each of them and definitely think that you should check them out for all your Magic the Gathering needs. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Constructive Criticism. I am your host, Spencer, and I am joined by two people that cash the SCG, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, one person. One person. Man, daggers. Well, maybe daggers. there's some equity. Maybe, maybe someone got a little like, cash money handed to them, their dinner paid for from uh, another homie. <laughs> <Who's to say? laughs> I'm joined by the Abe Stein and Mason Clark. <laughs> I did that on What's up? <laughs> The the is on the other foot, Mason. What are you going to do about it? He's got the money. You've got the the. You know, it all works out. Who's the real winner? So, mm-hmm. uh, it's me. Th- this is this is exciting. You guys just got back from SCG Con, um, playing in the SCG Invitational at SCG Con. And we today get to kind of talk about that. Um, that'll be kind of our main topic today. Before we do that, we do have Always Improving. Uh, our main segment, and then I've got a little bit of uh, housekeeping to do. But let's do Always Improving first. It is the point of the show, guys. We want to be getting better each week. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go first because, uh, you know, you guys got to play in, you know, a 200-person magic event. But I got to be at home playing arena and wishing that I was watching you guys play a magic event. <laughs> um in in all serious no seriousness seriousness though wow that was hard to say uh this this week for me in magic was really interesting i um was trying to decide i got i got diamond uh and on like monday or something but i had a really busy uh, work week and i was like do i want to get mythic like do i care uh it was and so i got to i got to diamond one and then i decided to switch to the Phoenix deck that had recently done well. And I lost like 11 matches in a row and was like, you know what? I'm not going to try Mythic this month. But it was really interesting though, because I did end up, I did end up uh, learning a lot and actually have ended up playing that deck a ton more. And one of the things that uh, I'm remembering about myself as I, as I play more magic again, um, as I keep ramping it up uh, over the last year is that I'm the type of person that really needs to get my hands on a deck and do like quite a bit of, of playing and playtesting to really understand the ins and outs of a deck. And the the current version that did well of Phoenix, the, the Dragon Rage Channeler version, is actually significantly different, in my opinion, than, you know, the the uh, Fairy Dragon. Is that the name of the card? Uh, version? Sprite Dragon. The Sprite Dragon, thank you. Uh, because, especially when you consider your sequencing, like... You with the other version, you would pretty much just like wait till you could land. You would either turn two or turn three a, a sprite dragon, uh, or you would turn two or turn three, or you would turn three like uh, the th- the three three elemental that scry two. Um, and in this version, it's it's pretty different. Where you pretty often want to be playing either a dragon rage channeler on one or a smoldering egg on two. So, and you're also saving your. It's also a very much a 
explosive iteration deck where like or expressive iteration deck where you very much are trying to get the most value out of those iterations and make it the maybe the first or second spell that you cast on one of those three spell turns and so because of that you actually want to be finding two spells more so than you want to be finding lands pretty often so that you can easily do that and just understanding how different that is than like a brainstorm deck was kind of a learning curve for me um so yeah that that's kind of been the thing that i've been working on this week i did make it all the way back up to uh to diamond one before i had other obligations um but it, it was it was a fun learning experience and I'm, I'm continuing to play it today uh continuing to play it this week i'm all the way back up to, to platinum again and it, it's been really fun uh to grind the ladder with with something that i think that listeners could safely say is not in my wheelhouse that's that's me in a nutshell mason uh why don't you go next Sure. Yeah, I, like I said, the the Phoenix deck is definitely different. Too. You know, if listeners haven't played it. It is much more like the modern Phoenix deck than it is the like Legacy Cantrip heavy deck. Even though some of that stuff still kind of carries over a little bit, but it is much different now. So it's cool to see that uh, get some work in there. My always improving moment uh, really comes from identifying what I like in cube experience, which is a little different. So I have some other stuff we're going to talk about when we get to the main portion of the show today. But I wanted to focus on this because there's no real other time to do it. And it was a revelation I kind of had while at SCGCon. And it's that I really like crafted experiences. So experiences where, like, you are trying to evoke or do or resonate something uh, in magic. And so with cubes, this kind of came up the weekend because after – it was after day two, right, Abe? It's all such a blur. Yeah. Yeah, at day, after day two, there was a little get-together with some people. And there was a cube. And I got to draft the Mutate Cube, which is a, a cube that – uh um mtg grindcast co-host lee mcleod uh came up with basically it's like a battlefield kind of creature matters thing where you kind of maybe go a little tall maybe you go a little wide depending on what you're trying to do but kind of like creature matters creature combo cube and with kind of the theme of mutate and trying to really leverage and use those cards since people didn't get to play with them and i loved it part of it i think was my deck was busted but i i really loved it, it was a super it was a lot of fun and i got to like experience and do this thing and it reminded me of something that I had thought about before, which is that when the two birds first dropped, um, Ryan Overturf talked about how his idea for that is there's not like a board game rule for magic for like to have like a two person experience. And there weren't like rules and things crafted in that experience. It was often like, oh, this cube exists and we can kind of like make shift a two person format. And I really appreciate the craft that went to that. And then I also played Lee's artifact cube on Sunday in the kind of the back hall where there's like there's a bunch of cube drafts going on and i also did a vintage cube and i did not enjoy the vintage cube as much uh despite i think having like a pretty good deck there too uh but having to get to like play with a cube with like the theme being artifact and like exploring that sort of stuff it really made me actualize and appreciate how much that matters to me to have like a, a set and a theme and stuff like that and like just good cards mattering or whatever it's like something that does not appeal me in that sort of same way as this does. And I think that was a, a really big level up moment for me as someone who like wants to make more two birds and more cubes and stuff like that. And like really look into design spaces, like neutralizing that and really coming not to terms with it, but like cognitive of it. I think it was really a big, always improving moment for me this weekend. Do you think that that has to do with both your love for constructed over limited and also why cube style formats are your favorite limited formats? Um, yeah, I think that definitely has something to do with it as well, where like I like there that there's a structure to things where there's like a core principle or theme or whatever. And so 
when things are just kind of like blob decks, I don't super love them in limited where I get that like that there are things and people kind of pull together these like makeshift ones and they, they really enjoy that, but I don't enjoy that as much. Um, and I think that having these like dedicated themes where like some of that stuff still exists on the fringes of the format and you can make it come together still, but like, Hey, if you're playing the mutate cube, you're gonna have a really hard time playing like a control deck. Like Collins Mullins was in the draft with us, and he was my round one opponent. And I think he had a great control deck. Like an, it looked like not quite as strong as the vintage cube control deck, but like pretty up there. And it's just like this isn't what the cube's about. You made it. You made it work, and like that's really cool. But like a good version of the deck that this thing's trying to do is gonna beat that. And I kind of like that. Like, hey, like you're supposed to do these things. You can go off, but like we're kind of having to try to have a curated experience here. And we're trying to like do this sort of thing. And I really appreciate that. So I don't know, maybe that's awesome. to answer your question. No, I, I, think, not, uh, I think that it 100%. did. I, I I wonder if there's some self-reflection there on like the type of decks that you would probably enjoy the most and constructed as well. Yeah, I that, that's probably true. There, there are definitely things I do or would enjoy more there. But unfortunately, I'm a psychopath, and so I have to win <laughs> above all else. So it, I, I don't know what fun is, and so if you could uh, help me learn, that would be great. It was really, really funny to me hearing you come over and like tell me this revelation as was happening, because I was like, yeah, like every time we've talked about Limited, you say all of these things about it that I love that you hate, and yeah. all these things that these cubes are trying to do make it so much more like Constructed. Wow! <laughs> Suddenly you're in love with it. It's awesome. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think those those ideas and concepts are really uh, really cool. And and I think that like we even talked about it at the Invitational, but Lee Lee's cubes are so well constructed and offering that kind of experience. And just thinking about how you can make Magic do that is definitely a, like a huge uh, huge step up for me. My always uh, improving moment this week uh, actually came a bit from just the the ability to see the homies again and have those conversations about like magic on like the highest level i think that uh between the car ride i had um with my friends dylan jealous and kellen pastor kellen wound up uh top eight in the invitational and is a longtime friend of mine but just having the opportunity to like you have a car ride and you're talking about you know why it is you've chosen the decks you've chosen or um, you know, how it is you approach certain matchups or just how you approach preparing in general, those having those big conversations with people who you haven't uh, talked to in forever. Or, you know, I got to meet a bunch of the uh, the moto grinders who came out to the event, the young Zoomers, um, like uh, Karate Dom, who yeah. also topped the Invitational. But you can have <laughs> conversations with them about like how it was that they uh, were thinking about things and, uh, you know, kind of getting a sense for who they were as people. I always find that those things really, uh, you know, they explain people a lot to me. I'm like, oh, I like have a better sense for what that person's like. But when I reflect on what they think and how I can contextualize it to the way that I think, you know, that's that's a huge like boon of growth for me uh, when I like find something that resonates with me from someone else and, and their experience, the way that they process it. So there's just a lot of that. Too many for me to really. I'm so jealous. Really get into it in, in, in just one segment. But it was really good to see the homies again, not just for the for the hangs, but also for just the love of learning about uh, learning about magic and uh, and each other. It's really Dude, awesome. Did you tell some good beat stories? Some good beat stories. I don't really have many good beat stories. Um, 
I also didn't really have any bad beat stories. My my tournament was pretty uh pretty polarized to just like sure. the the yeah, played a game and I Dude, lost, I played just... a game and I won. I just want to hear a story about somebody walking up and telling telling somebody a sick play. Like, dude, I just made the sickest play. That's... I, I can give you a bad beat story if you want one. No, I don't want that. I don't want that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there was pretty good. It's a good so... beat story for Shakirani. It's it's part of the reason he's in the top eight. <laughs> if you want a good beat story, uh, Will Kruger was very very proud of a play he made with Hammer against Blue White, where he just like had the second cigar to aid and some other stuff he like really wanted to protect from the spring leaf or from um prismatic ending and so he like played and sequenced his turns in a way that the cigar aid looked like the most valuable permanent and then it was actually just a huge setup where he had the second cigar aid and was totally prepared for it to go away but he just like sequenced in a way and like thought about things in a way and like got his opponent to spend the prismatic ending on that cigar aid and, and just felt like he was like five head that's about it for that's the best forever. it was awesome uh, see that's the story i wanted mason that's the one uh i i, I, well, I, I do have, i want to want to stitch you along the same lines because i mean i had a very similar experience like every time i talk to mylan um he, they just so good at magic he's just like insane and like a, a was there for this one where i, I was like round three yeah, it's like the end of round three. So if you haven't played the Invitational before, it's a split round format, split round tournament, four rounds modern, or sorry, stand, four rounds standard, four rounds modern. Then you do it again in day two, and then the first format's the top eight. But you don't have to submit your deck list until the first round of modern. So sometimes people will make choices and whatnot. And so like he comes over and he's one and two right now. And he's like, the first thing he says is like, should I play four IOK or three or four thought season, three or the other? And we're like, well, what's your record? And he goes one, two. And then we're like, yeah, I okay. And he's like, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And so, like, he swaps in the one I okay, takes out the one thought, sees he's out, he's out of the burn bracket, right? And then we're talking to him, and he's like, I have to get a hex parasite because I'm going to run into the Chalice of the Void decks. And we're just like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, you get hex parasite off your Urza saga, and then you blow up these Chalice of the Voids with the Phyrexia mana. That, like, idea and thought has not happened anywhere like no at least not publicly right like maybe I, I didn't get to see the mock stuff so maybe that's something he knew from like nathan or phil helmuth on uh sam rolf uh on twitter and like maybe that's what happened and he learned that but it, that wasn't my impression from looking at stuff and it's just like yeah this kid spent like 10 hours reading artifacts everyone's playing urza saga everyone's losing a chalice and he figured out you should play hex parasite and like it's like why did we not figure this out like Abe's like we're talking about how we can't beat blue white control and it's like we just didn't you know find the hex parasite like come on it's gas. <laughs> like, this is the thing it's so yeah. gas so, yeah, it's I'm, awesome. I'm so jealous of you too like you haven't <laughs> the first thing that I did during my one on one with my boss today I was like hey like I need to go to this tournament in Las Vegas like let's make this happen <laughs> and he's like yeah like, let's do two uh, weeks baby that's gonna be me come come post Vegas. I'm gonna I'm gonna be missing out. So yeah, so really quickly before we move on to our main topic, which actually is the SCG Con and kind of the lessons learned from there, a um, couple things happened. One, we updated our Patreon, and uh, you know there are there's now swag for a couple different of the, actually I think all of the, all of the the tiers have so. it now, um, as well as bonus content that will be coming so a lot of the stuff will happen start happening in 2022 but you know we wanted to get ahead of it let people know what's happening uh talk to our sponsor today uh at oasis games and we'll talk to them about the, some of the stuff that we want to be doing and the, you know what support that they wanted to give and it's really cool so i highly encourage people you know as as the you know 
the I don't know about where you guys are living, but like where I'm living, COVID has completely flattened out. Uh, there has not been an increase at all uh, during the month of October. Um, and, you know, we feel like it's a good time to, you know, relaunch this and, and start encouraging people to support the show if you can. You know, it, it'll always be free, but uh, check out the Patreon. There's a ton of stuff going on there. And we're really excited about the the things that we have offering. And we I've already gotten feedback from multiple people. They're like, this looks really good. Like, this is some good offering. So, yeah, check it out. And as part of that, uh, I don't have the exacts on it. But I wanted to say, because you'll look at it and you'll wonder what it is. Or if you haven't been a part of them in the past. But we will be relaunching the Constructed Criticism Open Series. Something that we only got to do two of before the pandemic started. Um, and I'm really excited about it. It's something giving people an offering to to play magic and things like that. And one of the benefits uh, is going to be free entry into those uh, on the Patreon. So check that out. That's kind of it for housekeeping, unless anybody has anything to say on it. Uh, am I allowed to play on those again? No, you you to, you and Abe are going to do coverage of the topic. Come on. Uh, I was going to do coverage while I'm playing. Wait, I'm I can cover dunk on this guy. Topic. <laughs> yeah, like this kid doesn't even you're know. Like, you're both like, no, I want to, I want to win those sweet. Yeah, watch, watch, watch me play each other. Playing each other in the topic, talking, talking about each other. You'll just talk sick. smack to each other the whole time too. You'll just yeah, exactly. be like that play was so bad. I can see your hand on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't need to see Abe's hand to actually know Abe's hand. I read him like a damn book. <laughs> uh, let's move on to lessons learned. <laughs> Abe's face for the non-video listeners was like calling that bluff. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you can, Mason. Uh, Mason, I want to let you go first. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested because you said that you had some stuff. You want to talk about the standard metagame. And I'm really interested mm-hmm. in kind of how you ended up where you ended up on your deck list. I, I talked about it in the Discord when you posted your list that I was really interested in kind of where, not just your 75, but like where cards landed in your 75. Yeah. So standard, this is going to sound kind of weird. Cause I'm going to say a lot of stuff here, but just stick with me for a minute. I think that the best deck for that tournament was probably blue, black or Grixis, Witch. uh, I'm unsure which of the two is the best deck for that tournament. Um, but I think one of those two was the best one, despite Blue Black Witch losing to uh, Epiphany in the finals of the Invitational. Uh, if you look at all the win rate, which we'll look at later, it's just like kind of the best deck by a lot. And we actually knew about this deck the whole time. Um, and despite knowing about it, we didn't actually put much time into it because we were a little lower on it and we thought it would have some problems with actually beating Blu-ray, which it actually kind of does in the first games, but it just destroys the other decks, and then post-board, you're pretty good against them. But with that being said, I think those are the best decks. I'm unsure if those are actually the best decks in Standard, because the Standard format's over. Like, essentially, we have, like, another week of ladder, but in nine days from this recording, Crimson Vow's out on Standard. So it's one of those things where it really depends on how you want to look at Standard, where... I believe that when we look back on things, people are going to say stuff like the witch deck was the best deck of standard or whatever. Like we saw it come out and destroy. That might be true. It might be not. It's going to be really hard to tell. I know it was the best deck for this weekend for sure. Especially with how things broke and whatnot. Um, but at all time, I, I do personally believe and think it was actually mono green. And I'm going to kind of go into how I got there and everything right now. And I'm curious to hear what Abe has to think about some of this stuff too, once I'm done here. But basically when you look at all the results over, all the tournaments um is it epiphany 
won the two biggest tournaments through standards lifespan. It won the World Championship and it won the Star City Games uh, Invitational uh, in the hands of Corey Baumeister. Won the last one there. Um, that being said, basically all the other tournaments had a large chunk of mono green players in the top eight, with mono green often coming in first or second place. And honestly, a deck being in the finals, it's like if a deck's favorite is going to win or whatever, but like a finals appearance is very, very good and very, very telling for me. So when I look at all the data for standard, it's very telling to me that mono green is actually just one of the best decks. So when I am wanting to play mono green, like when I'm trying to figure out what deck I want to play, mono green is the most appealing because it's the most consistent one. And a thing that I often kind of look for is decks that are consistent and are able to consistently perform. And blue red has a problem, which Lear did help fix a lot, where it kind of run out of steam. It would have these incoherent draws and things would just wouldn't always line up super well. I think that's why you saw the gold span dragons. Part of the reason they left is because of that. They didn't lead to a cohesive deck in the same way that Lear did. And we see the Lear decks kind of be performing the best, maybe gold spans in the board. It's kind of a juke plan. Uh, so when I built my mono green deck, I built it under the assumption that most grinders are going to show up with blue red, which a lot of them did show up with blue red. Um, and my thought was that basically the narrative going around was, is that if you are the better player, you will win with blue red because your cards give you so many positions to make decisions and they're strong enough. And then you have this unbeatable late game. And so you can win in the mid game still with your deck, but you actually have an unstoppable late game since you're better to get there. And then now we kind of have this arms race to beat each other. And I think it was very hard to beat each other. And so I think you kind of have to you get in this weird spot where if, if you're going to beat each other, you're going to need to give up a lot for green and the green deck's still going to be there because when you look at all the data, green's very, very good. And a bunch of people who just don't want to participate with Izzets and they don't want to buy Goldspan Dragons, et cetera, et cetera, which is a small factor, but a factor. So I built my green deck. Um, and we can go into some of the more details here as mentioned. I'm done talking about like the big picture stuff, but I built it to beat up blue red. And honestly, just to plan to navigate the creature combat part of mono green mirrors better than my opponent in game one, and then sideboard and a bunch of stuff for the mirror. So if you look at my deck list, uh, I have no written sevens main because written seven is terrible against the blue red decks and basically every iteration they have right now. Um, I guess technically Jerry T's deck cut Fading Hope, so I would be able to beat up the Jerry T list. But besides that, Red and Seven, not good against Blue Red. And so I had unexpected, I'm sorry, unnatural growth. I always call it unexpected growth, unnatural growth uh, as a two of, and I had two Primal Adversaries as my five drops. Because Primal Adversary is a three drop that you can play in the early turn that has Trample, and you need Trample to be able to push through the Izzet decks because they try to use the birds to stabilize for, like, the birds are kind of like a time walk on their own. So you want to punish that, and it gives you a mana sink that has haste threats. Haste threats are very good against them because they don't actually expect you to have a lot of those. And so I sideboard in the Ren Sevens for the Mirror and a, two more Inscription of Abundance and a couple other little things. But basically, those are like the two big swing cards I have. And we can talk more about how my actual standard stuff went, but I'm really, really happy with my process. I think that I did a really good job. And the, the one thing I think I did poorly, and I wanted to make sure to mention at the beginning is we knew about the witch decks and we just didn't give them enough time. And we probably should have given them a bit more time. And maybe we were supposed to actually pull the trigger on playing the witch deck. Had we given it more time, that's unclear to me. Um, but the green deck was very, very good. I was very happy with it. So. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, when, when looking at your list uh, and, you know, I, I, 
was planning on actually having your guys' lists up while you guys were talking, but I got, uh, for the listener, for those viewing on YouTube, like, I got home five minutes before the podcast started and didn't have time to do some of my production stuff this week. Um, but is it okay if I read it really quick, Mason? Just yeah, so yeah, the, the, read it. the listeners have it. You're allowed to share art with the people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Mason never ceases to amaze me. He's uh, so great. Uh, I'm not even in the right Discord anymore. Like, you just messed me up. Heck yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it's four Mammoth, four Troll, uh, four uh, Pack Leader, four Blizzard, Blizzard Brawl, um... Two Snakeskin Veil, four Chariot, four Ranger Class, two Unnatural Growth, four Faithless Haven, 18 Forest, uh, four Sculptor of Winter, two Lair of the Hydra, two uh, Inscription of Abundance, and two Primal Adversary in the main. Uh, the sideboard I can't read because it doesn't make any sense the way you posted it. I assume you... That's Arena. I was... Uh, oh... Arena, that's the best of one sideboard, so it messes up. I, I can tell the people my, my sideboard. Wow, I, I was so confused. Okay. So then it's okay. Yeah, you you tell the cyborg. Two Taju Blightblade, which is the one one Death Touch. Two Inscription of Abundance. Two Ren Sevens. Two Snakeskin Veil. Two Outland Liberators. I believe I maybe last minute changed my deck list to play two Tangle Traps because Jerry T posted about Goldspan Dragon, so I think yeah. that might have changed from what I, think, I had there. I think, I think and three Frog Moth. You actually, I think you Hemoth. actually, I think you either posted that in the Discord or text me that you changed it to two Tangle Traps. So I have a couple yep. of uh, questions for you. And then Hit a couple me. of thoughts. The The first is, so I, I agree that according to like my, so Mono Green is like probably the second most deck for, played for me, maybe the first most deck played for me. And one of the things that I really have found is that like, I, I mean, I, I, we start with like four run and seven. We're down to two now. Like we're not playing full, like nearly as many of those cards. And I, I actually agree that the it's been pretty mediocre against, um, especially like the taking turns versions of the Is It decks. But I'm curious as to why that leads you to put it in the sideboard. So uh, there's two big reasons. One, Ridden 7 is really good in the mirror. Like, the reason it's bad against Blue-Red is that it's a 5 minute spell that's hard to resolve. Like, they're going to have Divide by 0 in their deck at every point. If, essentially, Ridden 7 getting its token Fading Hoped, in my mind, is a soft counter spell. It's going to take two turns before I get that token again. And I've spent so much mana to not impact the board. It's very hard for that to actually be a play yeah, that I ever agree. actually lines up and wins. Uh, and it often, like, deal force happened a lot. So, yeah, you just can't have that card in your main deck. The other thing is, I believe Mono White to not be a good deck. I believe it to be actively medium. Uh, I think it, before this weekend, it was the third best deck. And I think it's probably bottom five now of the, of the good decks or whatever, but it's bottom five. And the way they beat you is flying creatures. So you have to have run in seven in your sideboard because my deck left myself more exposed to them. But with the Inscription of Abundances and Ren Sevens, you actually can just overpower them a lot of the time. Okay. Um, which I kind of saw when playing against Team R.I.W. slash Harlan Fears Bant deck uh, in the tournament and like talking between rounds. It's kind of how those matchups play as well. So that so my second my second question you actually already answered, um, which was uh, about Tangle Trap, which has been like one of the best cards uh, for me. My last question is, how was Blightblade? Uh, it's it's fine. It's one of those things where what? Um, can I ask a different question? Really actually, to... yeah, yeah, hit me. Uh, it was it better than just having uh, extra removal spells like um, uh, 
the the one that gains, devouring tendrils. Yeah, devouring tendrils. Yeah, I thought about this. Um, the problem is, is your deck actually just won't have enough threats. At a certain point, in Blizzard Brawling with the Blight Blade actually very often lets you two-form sure. the Blight Blade. Sure. Um, and so while your Inscription Abundances aren't good, I did have a lot of moments. So I, I played the Green Mirror four times. I lost the dice roll every time, and I only lost one of them in an insanely long top deck thing. And I very easily won game one just by, like, playing Magic or whatever. Yeah. And I had a lot of moments where I Inscription Abundance and I kicked them, and my opponents had these big blocks. I just had the Blight Blade trade off with the biggest thing, and then, yeah. like, they felt like dominoes. Um, and it's not great. And I think that maybe in a world where I know a lot of people are bringing the Grixis deck and it's not just the like Kellen and Stanley, which is basically what we knew were the people to bring it. If I knew there was going to be a lot of that deck, I might've actually sideboarded differently and had more cards for them. Like maybe the mammoth or something. Um, but yeah. in the world that we did live in, I knew there'd be green and having that card, I think it's just pretty reasonable. I lied. I have one more question. You, knowing that you have so many four drops in your main deck, why are there no uh, Florahedrons? Well, it's a little awkward. So I have a bunch of four drops, right? I have four Chariot and I have four Ranger class. Well, um, not just Ranger class, right? Uh, un uh, growth is Unnatural a growth is a five drop. Oh, it's a five drop. Never mind. Ignore me. Just I'm, I'm just yes. wrong. No, you're good. Yeah, but but to answer the question about Tangle Florahedron, it is bad against Spikefield Hazard. That is the reason not to play Lotus Cobra as well. Is yeah. if, if you believe Blue-Red is the, the deck that's going to show up, and I built my whole deck to get an edge against Blue-Red, yeah. and then I played Blue-Red zero times across <laughs> Standard, which we'll talk about later in some lessons and stuff. Uh, but, yeah. Do you do you want me to – do you guys want to transition to Ape here, or do you, or do you want to talk about your lessons learned? I, I'm happy to transition to Abe. I think that's probably the best. Yeah, I, I think so too, Abe. Do you want to kind of talk about where you ended up uh, in in standard? Yeah. So Mason and I actually did like share a bunch of the same assumptions about the format. I think we thought that uh, Epiphany would be pretty popular, but that I, I at least thought that the creatures would show up more than they did, which I was very surprised when I felt like the field was um, was a lot more about the Epiphany mirrors. Uh, by, by especially by day two than um, than it was about the creature decks. I think I played against Green twice on day one, and then I didn't see it at all uh, after like round three. And, and it felt like the deck was actually just kind of underrepresented in the metagame, considering uh, that you know coming in it was kind of viewed as the best like level zero deck to be playing. Um, and I think there's something to be said for like a part of the reason that it's hard to say what the best deck in the standard format is, is that we've gone through so many developments, right? Like from Epiphany becoming like the best deck on top of Dragons being the best deck before it, on top of Green being the best, and then White having these weekends. But as things have slowly gotten more hammered out uh, and things have been eliminated from the metagame, like, you know, like the the black eye twitch decks and like uh, various builds of the mono white deck, as they kind of fell by the wayside, there's more room to apply pressure to other things. And I think Monogreen was like the last champion to fall in some respects. And I didn't really expect that to happen this weekend. I, I really didn't expect much innovation to come from from many players. And there was a lot more of that Sedgemore Witch deck than I thought there would be. And just more people willing to take risks. I played against Blue-Green Ramp twice uh, in my tournament. I played against... Blue-Green, uh, not Sultai? Yeah, just straight Blue-Green... Like the uh, like the like the early Alley Trazi deck is kind of what you're talking about. Kind of, it was just a 
it, it topped out at like coma i don't think it yeah, had yeah. its own epiphanies yeah, yeah. um yeah I, I played against actually i think there were only like two maybe three people playing it in the tournament i played against both of them across across both days and you know there was just a lot more of people playing things off the beaten path than i thought there would be for what seemed like kind of a a solved-ish standard format where people knew what was what was up with most of the decks. I think this is like a symptom of paper versus versus online for what it's worth. Like this is this is actually something that I expected coming into this weekend, and it is something that and it, it's it, it's funny because like people often attribute all of this to card availability. I don't think that's true. I think I think people are more willing in a paper tournament to like buy the cards that they enjoy the most. Then just like they just happen to own all of the cards on arena when you're a grinder, like you just own them all. So there's like not a reason to play the best deck. So it's not a card availability thing. It's like, I enjoy this the most. If I'm going to spend X number of my hours on a weekend playing a deck, I'm going to do it this way. And they yeah. will convince themselves that it is the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and I think the, so uh, I know I'd posted my deck list in in the Discord. I played uh, Blue Red Epiphany with Go Blank in the sideboard as my only black card. Um, at the very last minute, I made a couple of changes to my to my deck, which were cutting my fourth Alaron's Epiphany for my third Galvanic iteration, and cutting my third Malevolent Hermit in my sideboard for my first Disdainful Stroke. And that was kind of a hedge towards this effect of not knowing exactly what was going to happen. Like on Thursday night, I was like, I don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, but I think I need to be more prepared for, uh, for just the uncertainty of what tomorrow could bring. You know, like I don't know how many people are actually going to show up and play Goldspan Dragon. If a bunch of people decide that Dragon is the best deck, I need to have these disdainful, this dis sure. disdainful stroke to have a plan against that. Or like, you know, I, I'm playing these go blanks because not only are they a plan in the mirror that's very potent, it's also a plan for blue green ramp or whatever yeah. uh, whatever but, random other mid range deck pops and, up. And you had made other concessions. Can can I ask you a couple of questions just like I did Mason really quick? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so you had made a couple of concessions. I think thundering rebuke over something like whether it's demon bolt or like other removal spells. I actually really love thundering rebuke in that slot. I'm pretty sure that's that's different than what the Shek players were playing, right? Yeah, it it is what the Japanese players were playing. Okay. Um, to it's a compliment, Lear. Yeah, uh, I love it. I think that it's really good. So you already making concessions to Dragon there. My my question actually comes down to a couple things. Um, one is your split on Galvanic iteration. You so you only have two. I guess it's just the number of Galvanic iteration where like. In my head, this is like a oh no no it, it, it you do have them they're the windfalls you have four windfalls, so we're like for me what I when I've been playing this deck I've been playing them as a three three split, um and I, I'm just kind of curious where where the number like you play this deck way more than me, what where where do you land on two and is two correct just because of, uh, just because of, just because of windfall in all honesty, so. I actually wound up, um, like, the last change I made to my deck uh, at, like, 11.30 a.m. on the day of, of the tournament was to cut my third epiphany for my third iteration. Or my fourth epiphany for my third iteration. Oh, okay. Three three. That, that actually makes sense. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. And that's one that you kind of have to win a lot more games now that the format is adjusted to... Uh, and especially like the highest end of the format has adjusted to 
the Alrin's Epiphany top end. And so like you actually need to copy your your Epiphanies in a lot of matchups to get the room you need. Like in the Mono Green matchup, we were finding that you can't just be a little ahead and cast an Epiphany. That's not even close to enough. You have to be getting two full turns if you want to establish like Lier and a lock to to get ahead of your opponent. Um so it became more important to me to draw one and one than it became to draw my epiphanies and then figure it out with iterations along the way for value. Uh, and the other thing was that in my sideboard plan um, for having my go blanks, a lot of the ways I was trying to win my epiphany mirrors when they were just spell-based epiphany was to iteration and then go blank them on like turn five and make the game about that. So that, that's like my my free win in the games where, which aren't just more traditional control mirrors. And so uh, the interaction with just the rest of my deck kind of makes Galvanic Iteration actually a very good card as opposed to Epiphany, which was a little clunky. And so I'd seen people doing that. I talked to Kane Reinhardt about it, who had done a lot of work with the Epiphany deck as well. And he was like very sold on on 3-3. And so I wound up trusting in it and I thought it was really good for me all weekend. It, having access to it was was really nice i i actually love what you said about the games where you have to copy epiphany but i think that more than that is true that you just have games where you need to win where it's not just about epiphany it's about it's about like gaining advantages where you can gain them with this deck and a huge part of that is the iterate the the um the, the galvanic iteration thank you yeah i actually have a great anecdote from my match on day one against shaheen where in game two, I had like foretold a behold multiverse and was just kind of waiting and was struggling to get out from under like a duress and some go blanks. And there was just a turn where he tapped out to cast memory deluge in my end step. And I knew he didn't have many threats that actually mattered. So I was able to just galvanic iteration, the behold multiverse and immediately undo his entire early game. And that went on to like seal, seal that game for me. Uh, uh, very easily. And a lot of things like that can come up. The times we're able to iteration fading hope and the right aggro matchups or uh, or iteration rebuke. Um, or even just casting iterations to set up your uh, smoldering eggs was, was all very important. And so that card has actually kind of been one of the better performers that I didn't expect out of, uh, out of the deck list from where I started months ago to yeah. where I arrived at. So before we move on to lessons learned, which I'd like to go first on because, you know, as the viewer, I, I, I feel like I, I have some things that I think that I don't want you guys to steal from me because, you know, I didn't get to play in the event. I, 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 I'm curious uh, if you guys want to talk about your modern decks at all or where yeah, you ended up. Yeah, I would up. love to talk about modern. Yeah, well. okay. Uh, I, I, I was so. hoping so. so. Mason, would you want to go first on this one? Um, yeah, I, I can. Uh. So modern, <laughs> the modern most is popular an... format, constructed format in Magic, outside of Commander. Well, is that sure. a constructed format? That's a singleton format. Let's get, it's a constructed deck. Modern. So, modern is a really big format, and I was surprised and a little frustrated by how much it moved in the last week. So, typically in modern history, I think most people can back me up here. There are churns and there's meta games and stuff. And, like, if you look at Modo, a lot of times we'll see Modo decks, like, because there's, like, the rental services and stuff, the decks can change pretty rapidly, and you don't have to buy all the cards in paper. Um, for modern and paper, that's not always the case, because you, like, it is very expensive to get a deck. Like, the deck that I believe is probably was the best deck for last weekend in a money pile 
is like a $3,000 standard or paper deck, right? Like it is called Money Pile. Okay, so what it, is it, Money Pile? Because I actually don't know. So I, I think some of our listeners so probably you, don't know. You put Kellen Pastor's deck list in our show notes as Four Color Omnath, which is I changed a Money Pile. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, that I didn't notice. Money Pile. Yeah, because there are actually like four different Four Color Omnath decks. And I was like, this is Money Pile. Like I'll, I'll mention it before the show, but I f- forgot to. Yeah, so Money Pile, these are the cards. It is all the good ones. It is like Renin 6, Teferi 3, Expressive Iteration, Omnath, Fury, Solitude. And then you have like Eternal Witness, Ephemerate, and you play a Time Warp, and you just kind of outvalue everyone. You play removal spells and lands and Dorian. Okay. So it's the elemental deck that evolved. I was gonna I was actually gonna mention that on the show. Yes, yeah. It it is the like if Elementals is too Elementals is too small ball and a little too clunky, this deck is like the evolution because of Zorius control a couple weeks prior had like come up as like the deck to play. And this is where I like, I kick myself a little bit because I was like pretty high on Zorius control for a little bit. And I let myself talk myself out of it. Um, and I think if I had played that or for money pile, I would have ended up much better. I guess we didn't mention this. I five, three standard and then three, four, is that right? Five threed and then four. I five threed standard and four four modern. That's what happened. And so my modern win rate was like not very impressive or whatever. Um, but anyways, there was a lot of big innovations and the Azorius control deck. I thought people just wouldn't play decks that would like run into the control deck. And then Money Pile kind of came up and Money Pile just kind of eats the Azorius control deck for lunch. And like there's a lot of reasons to not play Azorius control at the tournament. That being said, when we get to the modern portion of things, Zorius Control is like one of the most played decks. It's one of the most best performing decks. There was a lot of Azorius Control. Uh, and the Hansen would really like to play it like Shaheen Sarani and stuff like that, who I actually played in modern in round six when we were both X and one, um, where his loss was to our good friend Abe earlier in the tournament. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't get to get him another one. But modern is really open. And so I chose to play Murktide. We talked about it on the modern episode, which Spencer wasn't here for. But basically, I believe, and I still think Blue Red Murktide is like the jund of the format. And you can do things like play a lot of white cards, but I'm not a huge believer in that. And after talking to some of the Zoomers about it, they don't seem to be either. Uh, you can do a little splashes like we saw Edgar Magalash play just a breeding pool and Ancient Grudge in his sideboard. Um, I talked to my friend Andrew, and he played a Hollowed Fountain and a Wear Tear. It's just only his white cards. There's a lot of things you can do to like get little edges as your jund deck. Um, and I think my Jund deck kind of Junded, and I played a little more poorly than I should have in a certain rounds. But uh, yeah, Modern is the most mid-rangey, grindiest it's maybe ever been, definitely ever been in my time playing Modern. And it is just a fair deck format, and all the unfair decks are actually not very good against the fair decks. Bro, I, type, so I top-aided top a, a PTQ with Blightning and Bloodbraid Elf in my Modern deck. You can't tell me that it's more mid-range than that. Spencer, the best deck in the format plays like no way to win and literally plans to eat with ephemerate, pick up bolts and stuff to kill people. <laughs> it is it. very grindy right now. You know, like it, it, like the money pile mirrors, our good friend Kane, he won his last two rounds of modern the invitational 101. That's gas. in the money pile mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's, it's funny because, you know, looking at the modern results, kind of like you mentioned mason mm-hmm. like you would just assume that blue white is the best deck by so much like like it, 
just it's one of the best decks for sure. absolutely dominated. And it, it's funny because like when I was tweeting at people preparing, for, you know, when I was going to prepare for the modern episode that I had to miss, I was like, what should I play? And uh, one of my tweets was. Is Eldrazi Tron good right now? And Mason responded, and he was like, "Listen, if you th- if you think Eldrazi Tron is good, it's probably for all the reasons that this blue white deck is good." And mm-hmm. kind of looking at that blue white deck, uh, if if I had been playing in this tournament, I would have just played blue white and mono green. Like that that would have been what I played. Um, yeah. And that was almost me, and I talked myself out of it. <laughs> <laughs> do you, Do you legitimately think you would have done better uh, with with blue white? Yeah, I do. I fun little story. I don't know if I would have won my. So let's assume everything's the same till we hit modern on day one, right? Okay. My round one modern opponent was on black green infect, and they beat me game one with Jim Razor. I think I just would have like lost to Jim Razor for sure in the game one because sure. like I would just like keep a chalice hand and be like I'm good, baby, and then they would <laughs> mutate a Jim Razor and kill me. Um, but I don't know how the like, sideboard. That's strong go. innovation for what it's worth. It was very good against my DRC. I had to attack into it. It was very frustrating. That's pretty uh, beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I counterspelled the first one, and they drew another one, and they were like, "Jim Razor," and I'm like, "Uh." But you know, I won game two and three. Thank the Lord for making game two and three. Anyways, uh, yeah. So I, I think I would have done probably better. I don't know. I have not played a lot of the Azorius control decks in those longer tournaments, and I have a problem where like I am ADHD and I do not take stimulants. And as, like, Abe and everyone can attest, by the time the eighth round is over in a tournament, I'm like, uh, like, just tell me where we're going, what we're doing. So I don't know if, like, the last rounds I would have played well, but the deck is very, very strong. and probably yeah. would have bailed me out of a lot of situations. Abe, where did you so, land on Modern? I wound up sticking with the old trusty Hammer Time. And, uh, I don't know, I think I kind of had, like... Uh, this is a little bit into my lessons learned from the from the event, but I had a little bit of an opposite experience with Mason, where Mason was kind of begrudging the fact that uh, the format had developed so much um, in such a little time right before the Invitational between Blue-White rising to dominance then kind of being eaten up by, by Money Pile. I went uh, to play Money Pile. I couldn't at the time or rent the cards. I mean... <laughs> It's we could have gotten around that, but between you and me, you would have taken a like you might not have taken a draw on your uh, fault, but you yeah. probably would have taken some draws in that tournament. Fun fact: it, it was Abe, just so I've never fact. drawn in a sanction match of Magic. Did you know that? Always first I've... time for anything, Mason. Unless you're gonna scoop a lot, it's gonna be like probably scooped. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I went up playing Hammer despite the fact that the field was, you know. Supposedly going to be all these decks that are anti-hammer, which is you know what I've basically been signing up for because I think the deck is just that good. It, and over the weekend, not only did uh, you know at least one player, I think actually it might have been just the one top eight of the invitational who was playing it uh, mm-hmm. in Karate Dom, but also it like won the mocks. So I don't know, deck's pretty good. Uh, but but my kind of lesson from modern and my feeling with modern portion were that I should have reminded myself more in the last second when I was building my deck um, and like deciding on literally my last two sideboard slots. Uh, the same thing I reminded myself when I was building my standard deck, which was that there's a lot of unpredictable things that happen in a field. And there's a lot of things that you just can't be prepared for by name, but be sure to make sure your deck can play those weird games and, and have a plan for you know, the field. And I wound up playing against 
like Esper Reanimator twice and Grixis Luris twice and just all these decks I had not built my sideboard for. I I had like chosen to play Void Mirror and like Seal of Cleansing is like my last couple of slots to make sure I was hedged against the decks I thought were really good for the weekend in my mirror match and these like solitude uh, four color piles. And I played against neither. It was just like, you can never predict what you get out of modern. I was going to say, you're describing every modern tournament ever, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I kind of (laughs) let myself forget that in the sense that I was like making sure I was prepared for the matchups I thought were really important and that I would be able to like get out of the rest. But I definitely felt, uh, definitely felt in the Grixis Luris matchups that maybe having a pro red, pro black creature would have been very good. Sure. And against the Esper Animator deck, having the pro red, pro black graveyard hate creature would have been really good. Right. Um, and yeah, so, so it was kind of just uh, a lot of modern being modern and it's like that sometimes, but I think hammer is still, you know, an absolutely fantastic choice for any modern tournament and still yeah. does well in the face of, of all the decks that are hating on it. So the, yeah, the problem with hammer is that it is very skill intensive and everyone comes hating for you. This is like, I tried to be a hammer gamer and it was just very, it's just legitimately very, very hard. And while you do get like cans that bail you out nowhere near as much as Azorius child's hands do. And like, yeah, yeah, you're free. You you have to earn your wins a lot harder, especially because everyone has a plan for you. But even playing against all these decks that had a plan for me, I felt like there were a lot of games where I was like, yeah, my deck is. I still feel like I'm going to win this game, and I still feel like my deck is functioning really well. Um, that's kind of just like where the modern format's at, though. That, that's like the hammer problem for the format is that people are so skewed towards making sure they can beat that first and then beating everything else later. That but hammer's still so good, you know. It's it's just kind of what makes modern great right now to me. I, I I before I move on to my lessons learned, I do have kind of a a modern question for you guys, or it might not even be a modern question, it might just be a tournament question. Do you guys feel like you guys accounted for it being a paper tournament enough? Yeah, I I think I did at least. Like I was I was pretty sure there would be more money pile because. The difference between buying cards from Money Pile and buying cards from Standard is I spend so it was like what fifty bucks for a Goldspan Dragon. So I spent two hundred dollars on Goldspan Dragons for the one tournament that sucks. Spending two hundred dollars on like Endurances and Solitudes, you know, it's like well I have those forever. And also there's a thing where like people play Modern a bunch, so you can like source the cards or whatever. And I, I thought there would be a good amount of it. Um, and I think that, like, generally the way I build my sideboards in Modern, I count for that a lot. Like, that was not a problem I had that Abe was experiencing, where it's like, I played against, like, a wide variety of decks as well. And I just kind of was like, I had games and plans for all of them, you know, and it just wasn't a problem. Where I had cards that would have hedged for those things had they come up, so. Yeah, I, don't know how yeah, I think I made a pretty big error in, in not... In like unhedging my deck and making those sacrifices, I, I think if I could go back and change my sideboard, like back to what it was before I had written out my deck list and submitted and made that last change. Sure. Even though I thought my deck list was fine, I, I just I would. <laughs> cool. So I I have kind of two big lessons learned from this weekend. Um. So I I. In, in looking at results, which is basically what I can do, and kind of watching player interviews, I kind of I kind of learned two things. One, that word travels, I think, faster than a lot of people 
like to admit when it comes to Magic right now. And, like, it only takes one person playing against, uh, you know, a, a witch on Arena for it to get out. And so it, it's really funny because if you had asked me what blue-white control looked like before the event uh, or, you know, three days before the event, I, I probably would have told you a significantly different deck than I would have told you right before the event because I played against it on ladder right before the event. Um, what, what, and so to me, like my lesson learned here is actually to, if, if you see a deck and you see something different to, to remind yourself to question why somebody might be doing something, why, why is somebody playing this blue black control deck in a world of, uh, you know, in a world of, is it epiphany? Because, you know, there, there are, there are, there was a blue black control deck before this deck, right? It was a lure deck that also happened to play, I think it's the serpent or whatever. Like, so the fact that the fact that people are kind of going all in on this particular game plan is really interesting. And I, I think that the, the blue black control decks were a lot closer to Shaheen's list, uh, without the snow, without the, uh, the snow stuff than they were, with the snow, snow stuff, like, I have played against uh, the Celius or whatever a few times myself. And it, it's just interesting to, like, kind of look at, is is Lure Duress a thing? Like, is is that the thing to be doing? And and look at that. And, and that was probably my biggest lesson from Standard. I would also say to trust yourself quite a bit. Um, I, I had started to lose with, with Mono White. And, and it was really funny to hear your comments earlier, Mason about kind of the top decks in the format because my top decks have changed if you had asked me two weeks ago i would have said that it was that we were in a straight up three deck format we were in a a zeke a chariot epiphany mono white format uh and now i don't think that's true i think that we are in a format with the top deck being mono green i agree with you on that mason specifically monogreen by the way i tried teamer a bunch i tried gruel a bunch i actually think the monogreen is just better right now i don't know that that will be true after the news that comes out you know as you know more cards are introduced it's possible that you know that the the mana's not better but you know now now i think it's monogreen's number one uh is it to decks at large you know whether any kind of epiphany deck comes in at number two and, and in all honesty, like, I think that blue-black comes in at three and, and mono-white comes in at four. Uh, you said five decks, and I could not think of another tier one deck Grixis, at five. I think the Grixis Witch deck is better than the white deck. There, there's a version of the deck that plays Smoldering Egg. Oh. And, and, and Experimental Frenzy. That's so... So here, here's what Experimental happened. Experimental Frenzy is not... No, it plays... Uh, uh, Express uh, Red Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both unbeatable red draw spells. Okay. Yeah, so... The the deck that everyone's playing is like a three week old like without well, the deck the one that like Cardum played is like a three week old version of the Grixis deck that Stanley played and worked on with Kellen and Kellen played I believe the Grixis deck as well yeah. and it is just like basically the same deck except you have one of the best draw spells of all time and Smoldering Egg which really shores up your green like helps shore up your green yeah matchup. that makes a lot of sense so. So yeah, I, I I mean I would lump that in with the the blue black deck for what it's worth, and I think it's still. Like I would just a... call it witch decks, but yeah, I agree. Okay, sure. Yeah, I think that, I think that's really fair. But yeah, I mean that that takes it really takes the deck that like I've been championing on this podcast down quite a bit, right? Like, I mean I've been saying like, 
you know, to be fair, I still think that if you play Paladin's class, <laughs> they're substantially better against all these decks. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think you would like the Bant deck, by the way. I don't know how much you looked into like the top 16-ish, but if you look at uh, Raj Solomon, I believe I said his last name right. hope I did. He got ninth or 10th. He went X and 1 in standard, I believe. Yeah. And his testing partner, Harlan Fear, friend of the show, uh, went X and... If you don't count the mirror because he played Raj, you went X and 2. Nice. So, I, I think that deck is also very, very good, and, and it looks to combine the like whites low to the ground, Luminarch Aspirant Redain game plan combined with some of the chunkier stuff in green, and then a little bit of permission. So yeah. So the, uh, uh, the standard thing that I learned there, and then the other the other thing that I that I learned um, is is honestly just to when you when you go to a paper tournament, you know, and I think you need to expect a wider variety of things. And it, this this tournament reminded me of that because I'm pretty sure I would have made the mistake of targeting three to four decks in modern. And in all honesty, I make that mistake in modern a lot. Um, in fact, I think that the last the last GP Vegas, uh, you know, I you know uh, that I played the the Karn deck at like. You know, I made day two and just lost a bunch of rounds just because, like, the day two metagame was way wider than I expected. And I, the thing is, is going into day two, I was like, I'm going to crush this. Like, I'm, I'm in the winner's metagame with this deck. Like, I'm gonna, just going to crush people and just ended up playing against a bunch of random stuff. And mm-hmm. you just kind of have to remember that going into these events. So those are my lessons learned. But I'd like to get to you, Abe. Like, you've already kind of talked about your first one, but do you have any others that you want to mention? Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I would really just love to harp home the, the fact that people love to think in absolutes, and I, myself included, I love to think in absolutes about like, oh, there's only mono green, only mono white, only epiphany. And that is very much not the way that reality works. Um, you know, people will be winning winning with whatever. I think, uh, you know, my, this is kind of like a more, a more personal lesson learned, but, and it's not like a, a new lesson for me, one that I definitely experienced was that um, you know, magic tournaments are long and anything can happen. I it, I was playing for undefeated against Grixis Lear, the last undefeated player, uh, like in round seven of the tournament and proceeded to not cash. And that was like, on a personal level, a pretty like hard set of pills and matches in a row to swallow. And that's, you know, kind of a reality of how magic tournaments go is that they're long, especially when they're 16 rounds and things can kind of not go your way. But... Um, you know, that was all a culmination of all the decisions I'd made. And when I was driving home and thinking about, you know, what is it that I'm taking away from this event? What is it that, like, what of my deck building choices should I have made differently? Did I expect the format to be too small? Did I, you know, not uh, sleep on the comfortable couch instead of the uncomfortable beds (laughs) at our Airbnb? Like, what what were all the small things that I could have done differently? There's... uh, there's, there's a lot to be said, but I think as far as the way that the decks were in the metagame were, uh, the metagame was, there was just a lot of unexpecteds, and that's like the biggest thing for me that, that I I take away, is that there's so many things you can't ever predict or expect that happen in a magic form, and that's kind of what makes them magical. So, uh, Abe, can I give you some life advice? Yeah, what's up? Invest in an automatic air mattress that is double, that has, that is like double pillowed. 
I promise you, like, I just own one, and, like, people are like, like, I now I just get a share room, like, if there's four people in a room, they're like, oh, the, like, there's no more bed space, no, I'll bring, I'll bring my own bed, like, and I'm, get my own bed, I'm way more comfortable, it's life-changing. Look out, 2024 SCG Tour, <laughs> <laughs> me and my air mattress are coming. <laughs> Maybe the Airbnb couldn't find some rocks and then Dude, put comforters. Straight on top up, you of can it, just buy a pillow. Straight up, you can just buy a pillow topper sheet too that just goes over the air mattress, and then you have a pillow topped bed. That, uh, yeah, there's like, a lot of technology I need to look into. After yeah, this like I did not think you'd be straight that up, straight up. I promise it's a life changer. Like uh, I bought it to go to GPs, and then like COVID happened, so it's brutal out here. It That's really is. Uh, so, so Mason, what, what were your lessons? Were they also to not sleep on on the terrible beds and to sleep on the couch instead? My back still hurts in that bed. I'm legitimately <laughs> in pain all day. Uh, <laughs> your guys' bed's really that bad? I, I slept more last night than I slept the entire weekend. I'm not exaggerating when I said when I said that like I've never been so frustrated by an Airbnb experience, nor have I ever felt so like tricked. Like, every Airbnb takes photos and does stuff and, like, stretches the truth a little. I get it, baby. It's like a dating app. Sometimes you're going to say some stuff that isn't quite true. Like, I don't actually love hiking. But if you look at my Tinder profile, I'm down to go for a hike. You know what I mean? We all, we all make sacrifices and we stretch the truth a little. This Airbnb did it really far and then didn't want to even, like, step into the, the, the trail. It was just really bad. And, like, the heat didn't work properly. And it was just – it was a lot. We have a sick painting that you can find on Mason's Twitter. Oh my gosh, a Mussolini painting. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, that Airbnb was bad. It was a bad Airbnb experience. I uh, also Wait, hold liars on. in the review. Time out, time out. Yeah. You have to give it the CCMTG stab rating though. Stab. The stab rating is high. We were like next to a crack house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the two houses adjacent. So how many knives did you give it? On. Like three knives, four knives, or five knives? I'll tell you this, I gave it two stars on Airbnb and gave it a public review of how things were. <laughs> <And> my <laughs> So like a four a four a four knife stab rating? I so yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm kinda guessing here on what a stab rating is about. The but, the, uh, the Hindi I stab rating the biggest got... <laughs> danger was not stabs, but rather falling down the large <laughs> slick metal staircase. Falling down yes. two stories of stairs to your demise <laughs> on a gravel road. That's part of the stab uh, rating, man. It's just the danger. Yeah, yeah. The stab, that alone, I I got locked out coming back a little late on uh, on Saturday night. And when I sat down to, ca to call Mason and be like, I hope he's awake so he can unlock the door before I start banging on it like a SWAT team had showed up, uh, <laughs> I nearly fell to my death because it had been a little ringy. And I was like, wow. I will say this: our shower kind of pog. I, I did mention that in the review. Yeah, the bathroom, like, the the bathroom was pristine. They should have Anyways. put more points into the sleeping matchup, and their deck, their their entire place would have been better. Yeah, they put all their points in the bathroom. Just bad. Who's even gonna play bathroom? Yeah, there's a lot. So, um, lessons learned. Like I, <laughs> I, uh, I feel really good about some of the process, really bad about other parts, and I feel like. Um, the things weren't congruent on like the actions I took of like trusting and looking at results and then like think about the way people do stuff. And I did like a really good job in standard where like, I think 
given a lot of, if you run back to that tournament, I played the same people a bunch of times. I 7-1 standard very easily. I do not think I beat Stanley on Grixis very often, but I think I beat the rest of my opponents. Where, like, my matches were all, the ones I lost were all very close and involved, like, some absurdity of error, like, a comedy of unluckiness for me. And so it's like, I feel really good about standard. And I think just abstractly, I feel really good about it. And listening to people talk about the Mono Green deck and playing against other people who played Mono Green, despite not playing very much for the mirror and spending like 20 to 30 hours playing against Is It, I feel very comfortable in all of that. And so I feel really good about all that sort of stuff, but I should have applied that more to Modern, and I should have played the deck that was a little stronger versus the Fearless Chalice and just expect that like more people are not... People are just going to ram their head into the, the blue-white deck, and they're not going to like overthink it too much. And I should have just been like, guess what? You rammed your head right into me. Let's go. You know, like, I'm, I'm going to crush you now. Or I should have just played Money Pile, which I also think was, like, like, I would love to have played if I could have got, like, two leagues and my hands on the cards in time. But it was much easier just to be like, life's crazy. It's busy. I have this blue-red deck. It's going to be, like, a real hassle to get everything. I'm going to play the, the blue-red deck. It's still very good. Um. And that's like the other thing when it comes to like lessons learned is a lot of like assur- like uh, not assurances, but like reinforcement of things that we had talked about some in this episode. Like my sideboard was built for like a pretty like silver bullety, like maybe not silver bullet is the wrong word she used for this, but like uh oh, what's it called when you have the knife that does everything? It's like a, a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, my cards are like almost Swiss Army Knights while still being silver bullets. Like, Miserable sure. Dispute can come in a lot of spots so I can flush a storm. I like things of that nature. Uh, and I think that was good. And I think I should have. The other real lesson learned was when it comes to like the playing, I needed to like slow down and slow down, especially when my head hurt. And I should have just like taken the extra time needed because I just played like very, very poorly against my blue white opponent in day two. And I just like lost the game. I think it's probably, I know, as Abe was watching it, and my hand was like five lands at the time or whatever, but I just like still made like an unreasonably bad play. I was incongruent with all the other plays I had made uh, and just like cascaded errors and stuff. And I just shouldn't have done that. Um, and if I hadn't done those things, I would have had a much higher percentage points, chance, I think, of winning. And I like kind of finessed them in game one, just got a little unlucky in game two, I think. And so it's like, that matchup was definitely winnable. I kind of just like played to try and like hit like a my one percenter draw instead of just like playing a real game. I think if I play a real game, I have a pretty good chance to win that. I can go for the one percenter type stuff later. Um, awesome. And I should just kind of like trust in my ability to play more um, and not be like so down to take risks in those kind of spots. But the other lesson learned is like. I, know, I gotta get some Adderall. <laughs> I gotta. I gotta. I like. I, I have you like. Could, you could diagnosed- get a per- you could get a prescription. Yeah. You're diagnosed with ADHD. I, I very, yeah, easily, very easily could. And my experience with magic could be a lot easier um, because I am just dying <laughs> after yeah. every tournament. I, but I, uh, I, the, the other thing is, like, I think I am very good at, at osmosis jonesing it, as I like to call it, where, like, I watch, I listen, I take things in, and that's helpful. And I, like, should lean on that more. And I should have been, like, it goes back to the money pile thing. Like, I should have been more willing to just, like, watch Kane and Canister's VODs like just talk Kane's ear off with a nice little dinner maybe and just like call it a day and play the money pile deck. And so and like just r- ran around town and got those cards, you know? Or yeah. like spent the extra money. And uh you catch me in Vegas, I'll be money piling unless something crazy happens in the next week and I'll switch to that deck. 
so those are our lessons learned. I hope that everybody gets some pretty good nuggets from that. Um, I, we're we're going to quickly move on to talking about the Mendo game. I, I don't think that there's like a great reason to talk about Standard right now. We've got a new set coming in in a couple of weeks. Um, as Ma- Mason, how long do we have? You tell me every Nine every week. days. We have nine, nine days. Don't... Eight days because today's over. You have eight days till it's on Arena. We have seven days from the time you're hearing this as a listener if you're listening day one. If it's Friday, you have six. I can go on. Technically, this <laughs> podcast goes live on Thursdays typically. So You have one week if you're listening when this podcast <laughs> drops until it is on Arena. You know the whole set by now. Uh, well, let's, You've let's, read my article. <laughs> let's talk then about Modern really quick. So the the list that they gave us for Modern are the XR1 decks. This is the first place list, second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth, and 17th place lists. This gives us, uh, I believe, three Azorius control decks, one Grixis midrange deck, one Jeskai midrange deck, one Jun midrange deck, one Humans deck, and uh, one Shadow deck. Of these decks, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of these eight decks... Uh, because sixth place did not seven one, uh, have companions. Companions are good. Whoa, Mason, I'll let you take it away. You wanted to talk specifically about Grixis Death Shadow, which won the tournament in the hands of Corey Baumeister. Yeah, just for if you you know because it wasn't ever it wasn't broadcast. It was standard for the top eight, but he did. Uh, 701 intentionally drawing into top eight with the Grixis Death Shadow deck. And I, this is, uh, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I So th- this is this is the thing. The Death Shadow deck is very weak to the card Solitude. It's very weak to the card Teferi 3. It is not great against Chalice of the Void. It has, I think, a decent enough timing against Shark Typhoon and that sort of stuff, and it's pretty good versus the rest of what the deck is trying to do uh, on like a Big picture level. That all being said, I heard Corey say against multiple blue-white players, as he was just clearly clowning on them by going 7-0-1, that this matchup is very good for me. And all the blue-white opponents did not believe him. And there were things like Teferi 3 is getting hit off Ragavance that made some of this happen, and obviously, like, some fortunate draws. But I do not get the Grixis Death Shadow list, and it only cements, in my mind, how good Corey is at Magic. But there must be something to this deck, and it just shows how underexplored modern is. I wanted to use that as a jumping-off point real quick. I, and we can I, get back to in a second here, but yeah, I, mean, I, I want to go back to that, that point in a minute yeah. after we talk about Drix's Shadow. So what do y'all think about Shadow before so, we talk about the underexploredness? Because I, 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 I think this deck I, list looks really solid, especially in modern. You've got three Inquisitions, four Thoughtseize. You're already starting off with like the ability to play a Jun game. Just like, just, I mean, I assume that if we looked at uh, Brad's list, who also top aided in, in Seven Wonder Better, that he's got a similar, like, I'm playing a ton of uh, one mana discard spells. And it's yeah, true. And it's true that that is not very good against Chalice, you know, after turn one, but that's why you play seven, right? So that you have like a 98% or something to have them in your opening seven. It's lower than that. I think it's like 80 something. But, I mean,. I don't know. How else do you want to start the game other than like taking the chalice out of their hand with this deck? Yeah, man. Right, but like, it's kind of kind of the same thing. Yeah, that's fair. I, I I'm just saying that even if you thought to use the chalice, right, the deck just has like other ones, and there's just like other structural problems. But what do you think the structural problems are? I'm curious about that. This this list looks really solid to me. 
Well, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I should say like uh, the way things line up against blue. So like the, yeah, I'm curious what Abe says. Then I'll I'm looking at the ma- at the list now, and I, I also am like pretty skeptical of registering Death Shadow into a field of like Solitude being one of the most played cards. But I am pretty interested by like three dress down in the main, which I know has been uh, like previously. Like this deck did make a blip on the on the radar. I think like two or three months ago. Uh, one of the first places where dress down started showing up is like a card people should consider because it's so good against Urza Saga and against uh, a lot of the pitch elementals. But if you think as dress down is like counter draw your solitude, um, I think that that's a little interesting as to how maybe that matchup swings. Be able to just set up positions where it's it's a counter spell for their their best removal spell, and they're like very committed usually to like at that stage of the game wanting to pay five mana to cast it. Um, I also just think that, you know, another deck that did go uh, 7-1 was uh, Logan Underwood's Grixis Midrange deck, uh, where this was a similar concept, but the only difference is that he's much more controlling with Snapcaster Mage rather than having uh, Death Shadow and, like, the Dressdown stuff. Uh, and, and I think that just, I guess, against this field, he does, the discard... He does, have, he does have Coligan's Command Main, though, for what it's worth, whereas Corey does yes. not. Yes, but the just the general conceit of like I'm gonna play, uh, like a discard spell Luris deck, uh, turned out to be very good for this tournament, and I guess that might mean that the discard discard plus threats is like lets you when your threats are cheap enough lets you kind of play a similar game to the blue red, the blue white matchup that we had like uncovered when we were talking about what what our plans were for those matchups, and so. I can like see how it lines up maybe a little better despite the awkwardness there of Solitude versus Death Shadow specifically. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at the fact that Jund and both Grixis decks uh, went 7-1 or better, there's like something to be said about that just being good against the field that weekend, especially when you see this kind of um, outdated blue, like Grixis Snapcaster Mage list uh, also perform well. Uh, it, it could just be a, a familiarity thing. And, and also, you know, Corey Baumeister's very good at magic. Yeah, so. the, dude, yeah. the dude's insane. Can, can I ask yeah, you I mean, guys a, a question that I, I hate to ask on the podcast, but I want your opinion because a podcast yeah. listener asked me it. Do you guys think that Ragavan's getting banned? Not a shot. You both say not a shot? That's what I told them. I was like, listen, if they were going to ban Ragavan, they would have already done it. Like... We're, we're, this well, is... I don't believe that. I, I believe that a long enough timeline Ragavan could be banned, but like, but it's right like now, years down the line, right? Like it's like, or or a year down the line. Yeah, I, I think you have like 365 days to play with that card minimum. I bought full art Ragavans, like, on purpose. Like, I I think that card's just not going anywhere. It, it's funny because like if if you look at the the modern meta game, uh, and we look at the decks that did well, while blue white technically did the best. There's a lot of decks in this this topic. Oh, yeah. It, it, it kind of is like... A, I'm going to get so much crap for saying this. It kind of reminds me of Vintage in a lot of ways. Where, like, a lot of the, the game revolves around a couple of key points. You're resolving your key spells, whether that's Expressive Iteration or a Planeswalker. Uh, and and then, you know, it, it's... Then it's... So it's resolving your key spells, mulliganing... And then sequencing, in all honesty, 
kind of kind of is what this format looks to be about. You know, and it's frustrating, right? Because for some people, because games are probably decided by like turn three in a lot of cases. You know, it's it's it can be pretty hard to come back in a format like this. But I mean, you also have cards like Expressive Iteration that can swing a game for you. So you know, if you have things that are leveraging your skill, it's just so much of it is about did I mulligan correctly? Did I understand? where things are sitting this this actually looks like my type of modern format this this modern format is very good it's very the way, some, and it's, yeah. the way that i've classified it is that in the same way that kind of legacy for a long time was defined by the fact you could do so much with so little mana a lot of these cards modern horizons 2 are like exactly changing the, the gameplay to that like things are so much more efficient now and the cards are trading so much more efficiently and you're getting a lot more for a lot less mana that it's more about lining up your pinpoint uh, like cheap interactive spells and backing them up with your cheap threats um, than it is anything else. And so, or, or at least in a lot of the decks, like there's decks like Rhinos that go around that in other ways or trying to play different interactions or Money Pile that are trying to, to like outvalue you. But uh, like a huge percentage of the format is the fair decks that are like, I'm going to play Thoughtseize, Unholy Heat, uh, counterspell, wh whatever it is to back up the fact that they're going to play these like very real threats uh, on turn one. And I, so I don't think Ragman's like going to get banned because I think that that's been good gameplay and people who play yeah. Modern Art like that a lot. Yeah. I, I should mention, I mentioned during the, during kind of the introduction of the decks that were doing well at this event, that seven of them played Companions. I don't know that we should really count Kahira as like... <laughs> oh, it counts. Do you think it does? It's a free card for Solitude. It's oh, a free card for Solitude, and then once you sure. start two for winning, you just take over the game. Yeah, talk talk like, about actually, talk about that really quick. Well, basically the blue the blue right blah, 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 blah. the blue white Kakira decks do not play Snapcaster Mage because they get Kakira, which is like a real get versus your own which plays Snapcaster Mage. Uh, but by having Kakira, you get to spend three mana and then get a card for your Solitude, which now turns your Solitude into like three mana like swords to plowshares and no mana later right like you kind of pay your three there and then if you pick it up early and then you're kind of in your opponent's position when they have to play around it if you get to hard cast your solitude you now get to play your kahira and start vigilance attacking for four which is actually like a pretty real clock when combined with lifelink for the blue white deck the blue white deck will just normally not die from that point so having a like white card to pick up and honestly like when the decks played endurance where they were like bant or whatever that's then, actually like, having the green white is huge. That's actually busted. I had not thought of just the fact that it just makes your solitude cost three mana. Yeah, yeah, and, and if you combine that with things like, uh, I mean, like the the money product does this to an extent too with Yorion, where like you want your Yorion's the big flaker, but like if you pick up your Yorion and you have an ephemerate, you now have turned your thing into like a four mana kill two as I've dropped something important on the floor. I'm, and I'm not, so, I'm not gonna lie, man. It's pretty, you it's pretty just, real. You might have just convinced me to start my Mana Traders account. Yeah, I, I, I try to get you. I mean, I, I was Dude, very I, high on this blue-white deck on, two months on. ago. I, I, I wouldn't did... start my Mana Traders account to play Money Pile. I'll tell you that. It's not going to be possible. <laughs> yeah, don't do that one. <laughs> so, you, to, you, be you fair, be to. <laughs> to be fair, uh, if you would like more modern content from us, like, you know, versus videos uh, between the three of us, you know, like uh, and comment specifically on YouTube. Uh, and we can definitely make that happen. So, 
we for need sure. them. We need them YouTube comments for what it's worth. I, you, I, 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 no, no, I we, we have to talk about this though, because it's about the Cory deck and it needs to yeah, be talked about. Yeah, go. Modern is being underexplored. No, so the Grixis deck has been around, like Abe said, since the um, Hunter Burton uh, Memorial Invitational. Hunter Burton Memorial, sorry, where Aspiring Spike played a list similar to this. It wasn't worked on. It wasn't really innovated. Corey just kind of brought it and did it. And we saw this one other things too. We saw Harlan Fear who hasn't really played Magic during the pandemic and people like him who haven't played who came with these huge innovations. Harlan brought three Thrun the Last Trolls in his uh, modern Rhino sideboard because it destroys Blue-White. The Blue-White decks cannot beat Thrun the Last Troll, nor can the Mirror, nor can Murktide, nor can Junt. No one can beat Thrun the Last Troll. There is so much going on. And, and Rhinos is arguably one of the most fleshed out decks in the format. It was one of the first decks we saw. Now you could argue there's been some big innovations with Yorion, but specifically Team of Rhinos, which is what Harlow was playing, th that has been a big thing and no one's done it. And there's a lot going on in that sort of realm. And I implore you to take a few more chances with things. That's... Same thing with Fury and Murktide, not been done enough. I, I love this modern discussion and, uh, I, I, I'm super excited to play Modern moving forward. Abe, do you have anything else to say before we wrap this up? Um, Not really. I think that, like, we my only big thing that might be a little controversial is I think Money Pile is it as far as Modern. I think that that is the last big step forward we're going to see for a long time unless it's coming from, like, a brand new archetype coming up because um, there's just not a better built way to play all of the best cards in modern. I, I, I got to ask you guys, there were zero money pile decks that did well enough to top eight this event. And also one literally top eight it. Kellen Pastor played oh, money. You're, Kellen right. Was in, you're right. Was you're in right. Place. Yeah. And no, also, no, no. hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. None of them sever wonder better is what I should have said. That is true, but there are a few problems for this that I think come into real life. The, so money piles are doing, they, they drew, Yep. Also, it's a mixed format tournament. Yes. So, like, in the same way that, like, I'm unsure if we play out the top eight, if maybe Grixis Luris actually makes it across 16 rounds of modern. <laughs> right? I'm unsure of that. That isn't sure. clear to me. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I know I'm saying this, like, kind of like, it sounds like I'm saying that it wouldn't happen. I literally don't know. It is a much different experience. And Corey started off with, like, it would be in a much different place with that, right? Sure. And like the decks you play. And so it's unclear to me, but Money Pile is doing very well on Modo. And I think it is very hard. And I think Money Pile reminds me a lot of Azorius from two months ago, where this is what happened. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say some spades. I was, couldn't win in Modern. I was trying a bunch of different decks and I knew I could always fall back on Murktide because Murktide was strong. And I know how to play Murktide. I can do that sort of game plan. I saw X Files, uh, blue white deck, which is pretty different than what we have now, but only like maybe 10 cards different. Um, there's a little more prisoning. Like, wow, that's great. 5 0 to league, like, 4 1 another league, played a local thing. I was like, this is good, but there's a lot of reasons not to do this. Whatever. Post in the testing Discord, everyone's kind of like, blue light control, gotta go. And I was like, that's a good point. Blue light I, control. I literally came... don't know what you just said. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I tried not to be too loud. I was trying to be like, the blue white control is garbage. Outplay everybody. Sure. Those decks are a little clunkier, which is true. There, there are some, like, real things there. Um, but. As we get better blue white and we hone it and we get better, I think that is a real thing. And I think money pile is going to be a similar way where I'm not sure if the money pile builds we see right now are perfect. Um, and they will need to adapt as time goes on and things 
change. Like, for example, I think the Thren plan is like maybe something that Money Pile could look into doing as like an answer to other stuff. So, yeah, there's like a lot of stuff that could happen there. But that deck is very good in the core shell of like good. So the, the thing about it is the deck plays all the best early removal and Bolt, almost I should say, Bolt, Path, and Prismatic Ending, and Fury, and Solitude. So the deck plays like 20 interaction oh. spells, so it gets through it all. I, I just really quickly, because I said something that's not true. According to SCG's sure. Twitter, Kellen did 7-1, but his list is not listed in the 7-1 or better deck lists. Yeah, th- their I website is... I know the story behind this, I think. Oh, oh it's because get the game loss. Yeah, so they were going to, to put the deck lists on Twitter, and he actually had registered in his deck list for Abundant Oh, growth, he got a game... Okay. Two Abundant growth instead of four abundant growth two abundant harvest and so it was actually while we were driving to dinner that he found out he'd gotten a call and was like oh yeah no it's supposed to be four of this wouldn't he get a game loss in top eight though yeah so he did get a game loss in top eight and it was assessed uh in his match against why wouldn't his list get posted though because they only found it when they did the deck checks and then were posting the lists they looked at the deck list again and were like oh this says four and two, and so I think that they caught it there and then never corrected it and posted it. Listen to episode 400 of Constructor Criticism to hear the story of the person that literally uh, got three, that got, that literally lost three matches due to a deckless error uh, at an SCG Invitational. Uh, that is going to do it this week. Uh, I, man, this is, this is, this was a deep awesome episode i have not hosted constructor criticism in a long time and i don't envy you mason three three hosts it's so hard man it's by the way thank you spencer for hosting my throat is dead from the SCG (laughs) con i've been sucking on halls this whole time i'm not gonna lie (laughs) i i like snapped off the s but i was super nervous this week uh just because i haven't done it in so long and three is just so much harder than two uh, so I don't envy you for doing this every week. Uh, something I knew immediately coming back to the show is that I didn't want to host three people. <laughs> and so, uh, but I, I, I snapped off the S cause like, you know, it's, it's my thing. It's the thing that I did for, for years. So, uh, I, I'm going to, I, I just want to say that I was rooting so hard for you too. I, I, I don't know if you saw my Twitter handle this weekend, Dave, but like, I, I did made my heart sore. I I like I love you two so much. I'm so glad that I get to do the show with you guys every week. Uh, this segment right here is where we would put a Patreon question if we had one, uh, but we didn't have one this week. So if you want to check out those awesome new Patreon benefits, head on over to Patreon.com/ccmtg. We will answer your questions at the show. One of the coolest benefits that I actually didn't even ask these guys about because it was one of the things that Allie and Mason had come up with. It, which is so crazy to me because it was something that we charged $25 for when we were on the show that Mason and Allie were only charging $10 for, and I kept it there. Is you can actually help us pick show topics, talk with us about them, and we will put them on the show. I kept that, Mason, because I love that. I love interacting with our most engaged listeners, things like that. So head on over to patreon.com slash ccmtg at, at – uh, at, you know, at, at $5 and above, you get access to the Discord as well as, you know, the Patreon question. So check it out over there. Uh, really quickly, just want to plug the rest of the network. You are a limited player and you're listening to this podcast. You should be listening to Sandbox Podcast. Uh, it is, in my opinion, 
completely unbiased. I have no financial stake in this. I think it's the best limited podcast out there. Uh, also, everything I just said is a lie. I'm completely biased, and I do have a financial stake. Uh, I, it, it's actually great. Um, Abe, uh, I believe you said that you had listened to this podcast recently, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, I... I'm now at the point where if people ask me what's going on in limited and like <laughs> how just... to get better at the draft format, I just say, have you listened to Sam Black's podcast? Because he, he really does just some of the most like thorough evaluation of the entire format and really makes it very consumable for, yeah. for everyone. We're, really we're so lucky to have him. If you want to get better at Popper, you want to listen to Popper content. I just had my meeting with the guys over at Common Knowledge. And if you are a parent trying to get better at Magic the Gathering, juggling time, uh, Homeward Path is an amazing place to do that. Uh, and honestly, like, if there's a person that has gotten better at podcasting out, out outside of Mason, because I want to give Mason a shout out, uh, Adam is like really improved as a podcaster. Uh, and Homeward Path has improved as a podcast substantially since coming on the network. So check out all those shows. Uh, if you want to find me, you can find me at Spencer13H on Twitter. I also do a uh, semi-weekly podcast right now because of my host uh, is is busy uh, in the Need to Nerd podcast for the He's a Game Media YouTube channel and uh, you can find it on all the podcast feeds and then I am actually going to start doing my deck techs. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do them monthly or whatever but I actually am going to be recording them in the Constructive Criticism Discord uh, where people can watch me record them and ask questions in the chat um so if you are a patron of five dollars or more you'll get access to that and i'll actually take questions at the end kind of similar to what sam's doing with his twitch channel but i'll only be doing it for our patrons um i'm going to be doing a deep dive on for, for those wondering my next one will actually be on the green red uh shaman's deck in historic uh a deck that my win percentage is well above 80 percent uh, and I, I think I think the deck is completely underplayed and and something to be really excited about. Uh, yeah, so I think those are all the the main places that you can find me. Uh, Mason, where can people find you? You can find me each and every week here. You can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. And you can find me Card Kingdom writing about a arena format. Uh, right now it is preview, preview, preview season, which means. We're talking about spoiler oilers. Is there is there a about. card that you're the most excited about? Uh, not really. I kind of like the four four in green a lot, but that's kind of mm -hmm. like a, a one sweet. of fun of spot. Yeah, good sweet. You're Captain Mason. You have to be excited about the called shot Thalia. Oh yeah, I love Thalia. I mean, that's easy. <laughs> that, that one goes without saying. I wasn't going to bring it up, but yeah. I mean, Dahlia is great. Like you, that card's gonna dunk on a mono green. <laughs> and you do weekly, you do weekly card kingdom stuff, right? Heck yeah, I don't skip weeks. I'm built different. I never missed a week. I've even wrote on the holidays, and I will be too this year for Thanksgiving. Ram article will be up same day. I love same it for Christmas. Hey, where can people find you? Find me always over on uh, on Twitter at twitter.com/slash more nothings. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out since we're talking about the patrons and the Patreon, to Dylan Jealous, who joined the Patreon last minute to get Mason's mono green deck list and played my Hammer 75 at the event after riding down with me. And 
had nothing but good things to say about both deck lists and was like, wow, I would have gotten demolished in this tournament if not for the fact that I copied those deck lists. He frequently was just like, wow, this hammer deck is good. And then it was like, wow, this green deck is also good. Dude, it's um, the best feeling. So. It's the best feeling. If you want to see more of that type of content, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash CCMTG. One of the things that I wanted to make a stretch goal, we haven't talked about goals yet. It's something we'll probably talk about is is versus videos of the three of us, like doing quarterly versus videos where like, you know. Bring it on. We, we actually did once talk about uh, if somebody like, says something about a matchup that somebody else disagrees with it. They have to, they have to do it in the arena. We have to record it while the other host, the other host commentates. But I, I think that that requires some, some Patreon dollars to get to happen. So we gotta, we gotta talk about that, but thank you everybody so much for listening. Um, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, one of the things that can help the podcast the most literally right now is to like and subscribe on YouTube specifically, and then to leave a comment on the podcast you're listening to, uh, it is comments on YouTube are really, really helpful for us right now. Um, I haven't even told these guys this yet, but it, it is the number one thing that you can do to help the podcast. The second most helpful thing that you can do other than joining the Patreon is just heading over to like iTunes or I guess it's Apple podcasts now and leaving a review. It helps the show a lot. Thank you everybody so much for listening. And we'll see you guys all next week with another episode of constructed criticism. <laughs>